Hello everyone, welcome back to this week's episode. Today I am joined by one of our listeners, Maddie. She is here to tell her story, which includes multiple rounds of IVF, lots of eggs, and getting out with very minimal embryos. Definitely a very different story to what we've shared, although there are some similarities with our story so far. I did really connect with her over that and kind of the places that she's been to with certain phone calls that she's received throughout this journey I could definitely relate and I think lots of you will be able to as well. Egg donor isn't something that we've touched on much from a perspective of needing to use one. We've obviously had Rochelle on a previous episode where she has been an egg donor but yeah we haven't touched on it much if at all really with yeah the other side of it and being told your option to move forward is to use an egg donor and what that feels like and process in your, your mind and yeah how you process that. Maddie is very raw, open and honest with us. She does have a bit of a medical background that is important that we do touch on there, not reproductive health related, but uh, yeah, it's important to her story. And her husband is an OBGYN, which is an interesting twist as well. Maddie, yeah, you can tell the place that she's in at the moment they don't have an outcome yet and they're in the midst of looking into egg donor options so it's a really interesting conversation talking through that so yeah I'm very excited to bring this one to you guys and I would love to hear any feedback and if you relate to Maddie's story and want me to put you in touch with her please do reach out I think it's really important I would love to do that because I think she's in a place where that would be really valuable so yeah enjoy and thanks for listening all right welcome to the podcast ready and let's just start first of all with telling us a little bit about yourself and your partner yeah, so um yeah my name's Maddie I'm 37 years old and I live in Sydney with my husband, Duncan. Uh, we got together when we were 20. So it's been 17 years that we've been together, but we've been married, it'll be nine years in July. And um, yeah, in our family, it's just us and our cat, Trixie. Oh. So obviously been together from a very young age, um, which is quite rare. What were the conversations like and when did they start about wanting a family and what you guys wanted that to look like? Yeah, well, I mean, we kind of like, it kind of was just something that you, like we just talked about. It wasn't any big, you know, plan or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think we just kind of knew that we would always have kids one day. Yeah. Um, but it was really Before we got married, um, one of our friends had a baby and I was invited to meet them at the hospital when she was like a day old. And I was like, oh, my ovaries. (laughs) That was probably the first time that I really was like, "Mm, yes, this is something that I want. Definitely not now, but definitely something in the future. Yeah, that's nice because it's not always this innate thing in us, right? That it's like from day one, we know we definitely want kids. You kind of, a lot of people will just think it's going to happen, but it's not always this natural thing. Um, And that's always been a difference between Lydia and I that we 
talked about and I wanted to highlight throughout it that I wasn't someone that imagined having kids from a young age. I think I said to my, I don't know if I've said this in the podcast, I said to my parents at a young age, I'm not having any kids because that sounds painful. The only way I'm having kids <laughs> is if I have twins and they cut them out of me and then I'm done. Like I, I said that quite often when I was young. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's just something that happens, right? That you're like, oh, yeah, I want that. Yeah, well, it was kind of like, you know, we, you know, you just kind of think that it would happen. It wasn't a, I wasn't one of those people who was like, oh, I want kids, you know, from day dot. That, that wasn't me. But yeah, it really was when I saw this little baby and got to hold her and she was so little. And I was just like, all oh, right. So that's what that, <laughs> you know, you hear about that kind of mom urge. Yeah, that's yeah. when that happened. Let's talk a little bit about you and if you were on birth control and what that kind of looked like um, once you did start trying, but was it, were you coming off birth control at all? Yeah, so I had been on the pill since I was like 16. Basically, we decided that we wanted to start trying. It was like the end of 2018. And so I stopped taking the pill and then nothing happened. I never got a period. I was waiting. <laughs> but uh, yeah, nothing happened. So that kind of prompted us to start looking. But I should probably actually premise, and I should have said this earlier, which is that I, um, I actually have a long history of ulcerative colitis. So that's inflammatory bowel disease. Some people may have heard of Crohn's disease, which is... Um, yeah, basically you see is like the sister disease. And I had a really, really rough time with that. Um, was very, very sick for a long time on and off on some pretty horrible medications. And um, in 2013, I ended up having to have my colon removed. So yeah. I don't have a gut. Um, and the thing is when they were talking to me about that, having to have that surgery, uh, back then they said that it was going to impact my fecundity or the ability to get pregnant. But at the time, I didn't really think much about it because it was like, well, it's not something we're looking at right now and it doesn't change anything because it's either I do this or I don't live. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really much of a choice. Yeah. So, yeah, like I had to go through that I had to have them bust me which sucks I had that reverse then I had a lot of other complications related to that yeah um over the years uh which did mean I had to have a lot of surgeries so I've yeah. got a history of UC but I've also got a very complex surgical history yeah. which um has impacted things as well yeah, I guess it's good that the conversation was had, that it was made aware to you. But also, mm. like you said, there's nothing that you could have done differently. It's just knowledge that you have. And I think it's also, I mean, I've never been in that situation, but I've talked to a lot of people now that have, it's never a, this is going to mean you can't have kids. It's, this may impact you having kids. And so, of course, you put yourself in that basket of, oh, that won't be me, it'll be fine. Yeah, and also, like, I thought, that it just meant that we'd have to use IVF. That was what was kind of pitched to us. And of course, you know, IVF is totally a silver bullet. We yeah, all know. If, that. We're, if we've learned anything. 
in the last couple of years that's that's IVF works every time yeah so um yeah that's my kind of context and also just yeah so basically when we decided that we wanted to start trying like went off the pill yeah like I said never got a period but the thing is I was really lucky I have a very good um GP I should say that I'm actually living in Australia at the moment but at the time I was living in Auckland and I lived in Auckland for like almost 20 years so the majority of the story is based on our experiences in Auckland yeah um so yeah I had a really good GP who knew me very well and she basically uh referred me straight away to Fertility Associates um in Auckland so that I could get a review with the um endocrinologist so I saw her after about I think it was like three months of no period and yeah like she did whole bunch of tests that she could got me the referral it took a few months to get the referral we just kept trying obviously nothing was happening so it wasn't ovulating <laughs> and um uh yeah tests showed that I had uh hypothalamic amenorrhea mm-hmm. and um PCOS so that was fun didn't know that that was going to be part of the journey but what that did mean was that plus my complex surgical history did mean that we had enough points um, straight away to get put on the wait list for IVF, okay. publicly funded IVF. Yeah. In between that time, they did start us on ovulation induction um, mm-hmm. using letrozole. Yep. And so they put me on like the lowest dose and fortunately I did ovulate on it straight away. And yeah, so we did that, but I must say that was the worst experience. I was so stressed. It really impacted me negatively being on that. Just the, you gotta go now, you gotta go do it now. Yeah. Like the having to perform was really, really stressful. Um, yeah. It caused a lot of stress on my husband as well. I should mention he's a doctor, ironically, yeah. and obstetrician gynecologist. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> the irony. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was quite hard with timings and stuff when he's on call, on night shifts, not here. Um, it, Yeah, it was, I found that to be really, really hard. Yeah, and I think you also weren't, I don't know if this sounds funny, but I think people will get it. Well, you weren't eased into it, you know, like most people start trying and you're having a cycle and you're having sex around when you think you should be or every few days. And then it kind of gets to a point where you're like, okay, we think something's wrong and we need to do things a little bit differently. Then something like that might get introduced. But you you weren't having that time of knowing that you were ovulating, knowing when to have no. sex, but not actually having it <clears throat> pinpoint just you know you didn't have that it's just like oh I'm not having a cycle I'm not ovulate you're obviously understanding because of his experiences his knowledge as well that you're not ovulating yeah. so that means you can't exist because not everyone would um sorry that means you can't get pregnant not everyone mm. would understand that um that isn't in your situation so yeah I think I can completely understand that being thrown straight into time sex yeah it was just like it was just so stressful I just remember being so so stressed at a time I like I just 
felt like a failure the whole time, even more so than anything else we've since been through. Yeah, I I found it really, really hard. Um, it really messed with my head. I wasn't coping very well um, mm-hmm. with all the pressure. Uh, we ended up doing nine rounds of it whilst okay. we were waiting to get to the top of the list. We'd had a couple of review appointments with the um, with fertility team and they were like, just keep trying. You may as well. They didn't mm-hmm. want to try IUI because they were working with the hypothesis that basically uh, all the little villi in your fallopian tubes, things that go bring the egg to me, um, they think they were probably damaged from all the inflammation and infections and surgery and stuff over the years. So they didn't want to, they, they thought that I was at high risk of ectopic, so they didn't want to try IUI. So they're just like, just keep doing the letrozole whilst you wait to get to the top of the list, Yeah, basically. And obviously uh, in that time, uh, COVID happened, uh, which pushed things back a little bit. But by that point, I was just such a wreck from it all. I ended up leaving my job. Like I just lost all confidence in my ability to do anything. So it wasn't a very good time for me mentally. Were Um, you open with people around you with what you were going through? Yeah, we've always been pretty open. Having a lot of medical stuff over the years, Mm -hmm. you kind of get over that (laughs) stigma. Yeah. yeah. So even though we had like a really good group of friends and people around us and a lot of support, that time was really hard. And then you put, you know, the end of life as we know it because COVID, of course, happened. Um, That was also very stressful. Yeah. For someone that's already in a, a hard, dark place. Yeah. Um, and that would have compounded. Yeah. And it was like the end of, yeah, it was end of 2019. I ended up having an unexpected surgery, which like, was it 2019? Oh no, end of 2018. Sorry. Yeah. Had a completely out of the blue surgery, emergency surgery that I needed to have. And that kind of also just threw me because it was so unexpected, whereas all the others that I'd had, not all of them, but, you know, yeah, it just threw me for six. So I started out, yeah, 2019, just a bit of a mess. And then 2020 with COVID, it was just, it was not good mentally. Yeah, you're obviously open about it and it sounds like your husband was um, very supportive. Did you get any like help for your mental health throughout that time or did you let fertility associates know or um, your clinic know that you were struggling at that time I didn't um I didn't reach out for help I didn't yeah I didn't get any professional help at that time and I felt kind of almost like a fraud like needing help at that time because it's like it's just ovulation induction you know in the scheme of things it's not a big deal but it is but yeah, you you yeah. show yourself that right, and and you're still, yeah. I guess, in quotation marks, the early days of trying. But the whole reason that Lydia and I started this podcast was because those first twelve or so months for us was so hard, and we wanted to highlight that it's not. I mean, everything's hard, but it's not just when you get to fertility treatment side of things. 
even though that's where you were, it's not just IVF, surrogacy, all the egg donation, all those types of things. It's, it can be hard right from the start. Mm, exactly. Yeah, so um, with COVID not working during that time and stuff, it meant that I did do a lot of things to get myself back. I use I actually use the time quite well. <laughs> I had to work. I, it feels corny to say it, but to work on myself. Yeah, so it meant that by the time it came to the end of 2020, when we finally got to the top of the list for IVF, uh, I was like, I went into it with a really good headspace, at least. And I, to be honest, like when it came to, you know, when they finally called us to say, yeah, it's your turn, I was relieved. I was just like, oh, okay, good. Yeah, like we know that this ovulation reduction stuff, it's not working. Um, that theory that they have about, you know, having the villa or whatever and not doing their thing, it's probably right. At least now there's a step forward and we can try something. So, yeah, like I actually went into the first round really positive. Like I was in a really good space. We were in a really good space. And we were kind of like, hey, you know, if if it doesn't work, it's okay because we'll have some eggs in the freezer and you can just do another transfer and it's okay <laughs> and at this point I I'd got I was working again like I'd had a new job I was in a really like a really really supportive environment great team and stuff and we went through it and you know, got, got the numbers so we had what so this was October November 2020 yeah they put us on Puragon Mm-hmm. the stimulation and oh my god what was that I can't remember what the other one was okay. the other one. yes that one the big needle yeah yep um so yeah like I remember when we did that we got so we got 14 there was 14 follicles there were 11 eggs six of them fertilized we we're like cool this is good and I remember like throughout the whole process you know doing the you know, I wasn't even bothered by having to get the blood tests or get the injections or whatever. I remember one of the um, blood test appointments was on a Saturday morning in Auckland at uh, was it Mercy Hospital. There was like a big line of us, you know, with the yellow forms. And I bumped into my friend's little sister who was there with a yellow form. And we just had like this big laugh. Like she was... Yeah waiting for the two-week wait for her second and like we got talking to these other ladies and like it was just really funny yeah like oh my god you know we're so relaxed and people were were like getting really stressed because they were going to miss their scan appointment we're like just go ahead you know whatever it's fine and then we got the news that um we had an embryo for a day three transfer they're like, it's it's not looking great. It's looking like a mosaic, but, you know, they can sort themselves out once they get in. So let's just do that. And we're like, cool. So I had the transfer. And then on day five, I got a phone call saying that there were no embryos to be frozen. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, we had six fertilized. Surely there'd be two yeah. or at least one. And I was like, are you kidding me? Am I going to have to go through this all over again if this doesn't work? And yeah, then we, you know, it was getting towards the end of the two-week wait. 
um I started to get some bleeding and I was like fuck it's not worked and Duncan was like no 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 don't stress you know bleeding can be anything blah blah blah. I was like no it's definitely not I 100% know it, it hasn't worked because I was like earlier on my boobs were so sore and then I woke up one morning and they weren't and then two days later I'm getting bleeding and so I called the clinic they're like yep bring your um test up and it came back negative and I was like oh my god are we gonna have to do that again and, and it was just like oh something you said um in your message to me was that you knew other people that had been through IVF and they had a baby most of them had a baby or all of them had a baby from their first round oh my god yes everyone I knew everyone I knew who had gone through this had had a baby had gotten pregnant on the first transfer I did not know a single person who'd had to go through not only more than one transfers but more than one stimulation cycles I was just like what on earth is going on yeah so that was it's a, sh- a shock isn't it it was such a shock yeah. and I remember like when they called me to say that there were no day five like there was nothing to freeze I just like started crying at work I worked in a team of guys and one of them like walked me to the bus so that I could get home he was so sweet yeah Yeah. (laughs) and like covered for me and my boss sent me a message and was like I'm really sorry you know take the rest of the day take all the time you need (laughs) that's lovely to hear yeah yeah then you so we went do. on holiday after that <laughs> yeah yeah was it an unplanned holiday that you just decided to take uh yeah it was an unplanned holiday we uh mm-hmm. ended up traveling around the top of the south island yep and then and was it just processing time for you guys just needed a bit of time like just yeah. wasn't ready to do anything again uh the, I, I should say at this point we were um with our public round we got put with um fertility plus mm-hmm. so the ovulation induction was with fertility associates and we moved over to fertility plus in Auckland yeah. um yeah they were they were really good they you know they had counselors and stuff that we could talk to but we we're just like you know what we just just need a bit of time like I don't really feel like we need to talk to someone yeah yeah and so we went in for number two so by this point I'd actually like started working with um uh the dietologist yeah their fertility dietitians um just made sure that was all up to scratch because obviously not having a gut means uh, sometimes I'm a bit um missing nutrients but that's okay yeah Um, that's a good point actually uh was there any extra support offered to you or was it a conversation through the fertility clinics well, that was kind of interesting because uh, there wasn't really any talk about diet or anything like that. Um, it was up to me. But mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest, I've never really found there to be many conversations about diet, even when you've got a gastro disease. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's always been something that I've sought support for privately yourself yeah yeah and I mean that's that's fine it's something we were comfortable doing and yeah like we're pretty happy with the dietologist she's yeah like had a few appointments with her she's got some really good resources Um, yeah she's awesome I follow 
follow her and have had a few conversations. She she knows her stuff. She's really yeah. Good. Yeah. And very practical as well. Yeah. It was like little things that we could do to make a difference. So yes. Yeah, so so how did you feel moving into round two? Yeah, well, round two, um, they were they wanted to change out the protocols, so we moved to menopause. Mm -hmm. um because they said that there were some questions about egg quality um after the first one but it was just like a a one-off thing they're like oh yeah no egg quality let's do menopause and we're like cool that's all good um so round two uh yeah we started on the menopause it was actually a bit of a low dose and um didn't have much of a response so they ended up uh i think we had six follicles that they decided to cancel the round. So to be honest, I was actually really happy because I was like, it doesn't feel like it's working. I feel completely different. The first round I felt like really, really bloated and uncomfortable. And this round I was like, I don't feel like anything's happening. And when they said that I haven't had much of a response, I was like, okay, good. Yup. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of reassuring that you know what you're feeling know your body yeah 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 because like I'm like my tummy is very sensitive so I'm very very in tune with it so when I didn't have any anything I was like yeah there's it's not happening it's definitely not happening um so yeah they cancelled the cycle and I was totally fine with that I was like, yep, happy. At least we didn't waste the round. Um, because it was cancelled before collection, it meant we've, we still had a full funded round. Was there any conversation keep. about having sex that cycle? Because obviously you still had six follicles growing. Was mm -hmm. there any conversation about don't have sex when you ovulate these or anything like that? Because I would find it really hard not to just do it. Yeah. The risk. Um Good question. To be honest, I can't remember. Okay. Because the big thing that was happening at that time is it was just before the Trans-Hasman bubble had opened. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't seen my brothers since, yeah, it would have been before COVID. And my, like, I've got three younger brothers. And at that time, my middle brother was getting married. So that was like where my head was at at the time. We were like hoping that the bubble opened and it didn't in time, so we missed the wedding. But yeah, that was the thing that I remember of that time. Yeah, and that yeah. makes sense. Um, yeah, IVF's big and you've got it going on, but you've already been through a lot to that point. And COVID, obviously, everyone lived through that. It was heavy. Um, and that trans Tasman bubble, there were so many times we thought it was going to open, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it, it ended up opening like two weeks after the wedding. Or something couldn't believe it <laughs> it's okay did yeah. they start um like were they open to starting around straight away since the round two was incomplete or did you have to have a stand down period um they yes yeah, so we started pretty quick afterwards so our next round started in may 2021 mm -hmm. so yeah that was round three so again it was using menopause um it was a higher dose and i responded better this time so ended up with 12 follicles, 10 eggs, seven were mature, five fertilized, two were abnormal in their fertilization. 
we had three potential um, embryos, but unfortunately I was quite um, overstimulated. So even though it didn't sound like I had a lot of um, eggs compared to other people who get hyperstimulated, my estrogen levels ended up being really high and it meant that they didn't want to risk doing a day three transfer. And when it came to day five, there was nothing and we couldn't believe it. Yeah. When they called us, they, you know, they said that we had nothing, nothing made it. There was nothing to freeze. And they said at that point that we needed to consider uh, egg donation. And we were just like, are you fucking kidding me? What? How? What? I was just like, are you kidding me? This is only the second time that, like, truly, this is the second time that we've done this. Like, come on, let's just not worry about that second round because it didn't properly happen. Yeah. Yeah. This is the second round that we've done this and you are saying after this that we need to consider, like, egg donation? Like, Mm -hmm. how the hell do you get there? And honestly, that, that moment was awful. The ovulation induction stuff was dark, but that was the darkest place I've ever gone. I went numb. It was awful. I re- The last time I felt that way was when they told me I had to have my gut taken out and ostomy bag. That's what it brought me back to was a very, very dark time. I was just, I was so numb. I, I couldn't feel anything when they told me that. I was just a shell of a person well I and guess your mind would have never gone there like yet and for that to just no. be thrown out there um it would have felt like a gut punch it absolutely did it I we were just like yeah a gut punch is what it was it was it was awful like I couldn't believe it and like that's what they told us on the phone after they tell us that it didn't work and like they were actually really good about it. They organized a review appointment straight away. So we were back there within a week. Um, we had a, a really good conversation with the doctors. They explained why they came to that um, conclusion. They got us in touch with the donor coordinator, but it was just like so much. And and they were like, oh, and you know, you st- because you didn't get a transfer, you still got a round left and you should really think about using it for egg donor cycle and this is how you can do it and we're just like oh my god what's going on um it was just it was really bad and it actually ended up being interestingly two years ago last week because it was just over um queen's birthday that all of this had kind of happened and um duncan was working nights over queen's birthday all our friends were away and he ended up sending me over here to Sydney so that I wasn't alone for a long weekend trying to process this information by myself so he sent me to my brothers and and their wives and my like aunties and uncles and yeah. like my parents live in London so that doesn't help but um just to make sure that I wasn't alone plus he yeah. was working yeah yeah to like protect me yeah and, he obviously yeah. could tell how much you were struggling and also he could have easily put himself in that place of imagine if they said to me we can't use your sperm you need to go find another person's sperm and how hard that would have been 
to process, and especially when it's a surprise news, obviously he understood what place that was putting you in. Yeah, so that was just a horrible, horrible time. What do you think you were mainly struggling with? Like, What were you struggling to wrap your head around the most? Genetic loss. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, you know, I have some pictures of my mom and I together and like I'm a spitting image of her and it it's just trying to get your head around knowing that I will never have those photos mm-hmm. of us looking like twins kind of thing yeah. like my brothers and I we all look very similar yeah. uh, and it's knowing that I will never have that which is it's a really hard thing yeah you don't quite realize how important genetics are sometimes even though they're not in the scheme of things it's just like at the time that was the only thing that I was focused on I was just like I will never have a mini Maddie there'll never be a mini Maddie who looks like me they may act like me (laughs) and would still be a mini Maddie but they won't look like me and so that was probably the hardest thing to start to get my head around um especially because like all my friends have kids yeah like very close friends they they all have kids the ones who want kids they do and even before all of this started I am a little obsessed with going oh my god look how much they look like you or they've got your nose but his eyes I just can't help it it's it's what I do I've always done it, even before this. And now it's even more. I think we all do it. It's just so innate in us. And I've noticed it like my whole life because my family, we all look very similar. It's like, oh, yeah, you can tell you're all siblings like your situation. Or it's funny, people that knew my mum growing up or people that knew my dad growing up would be like, oh, yes, you look like that side of the family, you know, however, and there was always comments about it and, oh, you and your sister look alike when we were younger, looking Mm. at baby photos, can't tell between, you know, these comments are always made. And now I catch myself doing it. Like when you see a baby, you're like, oh, who do they look like? And it's like, why why do we do this? Why do we hold so much importance to it? Yeah, and that's that's been the that's the thing like when we when we got that that news we were just like what are we doing like we can't we can't stay here anymore we're just like we can't we can't be here anymore it's too hard to be around our friends all the time as they're having kids as they're you know some of them have moved on to their second gosh, there's a few who have three, yeah. um, you know, and we're just like, what are we doing with our lives? We can either stay here and, you know, live in the suburbs as we have done, wait for that child, that baby to appear, or we can make a change. Yeah. And at the time, um, my husband was applying for a subspecialty fellowship program and he ended up getting well the plan at the time was that we would he would do it in uh New Zealand at Middlemore Hospital and we're just like oh my god we can't do this we cannot do this so he applied for Sydney 
and he um, ended up getting on the fellowship program and getting a, offered a position in Sydney. So at the end of, no, when was it? Beginning of last year, so beginning of 2022, yeah. uh, we, made, we made the move across to Sydney. I should also say that before we made the move, we actually had a another appointment, um, mm-hmm. this time with Fertility Associates. Um, actually, before that, we had another review appointment with Fertility Plus. They sent the same message. They were like, you could try again if you wanted to, but it's not going to end up a good outcome. We are like, mm, do we believe you? No. So we went and cut another opinion um, from Fertility Associates just because we were like, look, we're living in the country. You've got no vested interest. You're not going to get anything out of us. Just tell us, is there a shot or is there not? And they were like, yeah, why not? Give it another go. So we're like, okay, we will go to Sydney and we will try again. We got some recommendations from both Fertility Associates and Fertility Plus for a clinic in Australia. We started to get the ball rolling. Yeah, so we went into round four in Sydney. And this was a really different experience because we were with a private clinic. So this is the first time, like, we've obviously been very fortunate that those other rounds have been publicly funded, but it was the first time that we had to um, pay for everything. It's obviously a very different mindset. When you go to a private clinic in the middle of Sydney CBD, it's um, a very different experience compared yeah. to uh, Green Lane Hospital. It's um, all very different in Australia too, isn't it? Like, yeah. like there, there are private yeah. clinics and... Um, they kind of pride themselves on service and that type of thing because they are kind of fighting a little bit, I guess, between other private clinics. Yeah. Yeah, it was really different. But I must say, like, all the, you know, all of our experience in New Zealand and with Fertility Plus, they were amazing. They looked after us. They, you know, kept us informed. To be perfectly honest, I didn't see any difference in terms of service. It was just a really nice place. Yeah. <laughs> Everything looks nice and feels Everything nice and looks new. Very yeah. Nice. yeah. And I'm like, I don't really care about that. But I mean, it was it was a very good experience um, in Sydney. Um, Did they change except, anything up with the drug options different? Yeah. Um, so they used, we did a long protocol this time. So um, there was a down regulation using Cineral, mm-hmm. uh, the nasal spray. um yeah that's gross but that's all right so we had that and then I had the Pergaveris as Sten and then the old Galitron as well I responded very well to that uh there was 21 follicles 18 eggs 10 of them were mature four fully fertilized two were partial yeah three were like reasonable fertilization whatever that means and we got no embryos and we were just like oh my god this is insane now we've paid all this money as well wow yeah and the thing about this round was it's very different to New Zealand because New Zealand you can just go to not any lab test but you can go to a, a certain number of lab tests around Auckland with your yellow form and you can get you can get your blood test as long as it's before 9, 9 a.m. Whereas this, I had to travel into their clinic um, in the center of the city 
I'm not the best on public transport. I've got a terrible sense of direction. So there was a few times where I went the wrong way. Um, getting very frantic going, oh my God, I'm running late. I don't know where I am, but that's okay. Um, but the thing about this experience, the icing on the cake was after one of my monitoring appointments, I was just about to get, well, I was just going to a monitoring appointment and I was just about to walk into the lift and I bumped into my boss who was coming out. I said her name, like yelled it. And she was like, oh my God. And she knew that I was going through this, but she hadn't said anything. And yes, she was going through the same thing. Oh my God. What are yeah. the chances in Sydney to bump into your boss at the same clinic at the oh same my. time? Yeah. She, um, said to me later she was like I was wondering when I was going to bump into you so you feel like that changed your relationship with her absolutely but for the good uh she's really great it was it was really hard telling her that it didn't work because it worked for her she now has a absolutely gorgeous uh, three-month-old this is coming from a real personal place because our story obviously has a lot of similarities do you feel like getting that news was harder and harder each time or easier or just found the same those fertilization or the the day yeah. five results yeah that one was I mean definitely the first time we got it that was the worst it did get easier because we knew it wasn't looking good but the thing is we were more hopeful with this one because basically what they have at the clinic we were at um is they have time lapse imaging and yeah. so you get sent uh daily updates or whatever of your embryos and one of the calls that we had um at day three uh 18 eggs i was hyper stimulated and could not have a day three transfer mm-hmm. but that call on day three they gave us so much hope that it was all going to be okay and that was really hard when it ended up not being Mm-hmm. Um, because then, you know, they give us the call. They're like, yeah, it's looking really good. You've got this many, you know, we're doing the math in our head going, okay, well with that attrition rate, okay, we should have two mm-hmm. that make it to the freezer. And then when we saw the, uh, pictures of the embryos come through, we're like, we were really confused and, you know, Duncan being an OBGYN, he does have more knowledge and yeah. he was confused as well. And he was like messaging his friend who's you know works in fertility and we're trying to go this doesn't look like a good embryo does it they wouldn't say anything at that point they're like just hold off but you do a quick google search what is a yeah. good embryo and what does a bad embryo look like and you're like yeah. this looks like a bad embryo why are they giving us hope and so yeah when day five came around we're just like I couldn't believe it I should also say that when we moved to Sydney we moved in with my middle brother and his wife and very soon after we moved in uh, they got pregnant like they were absolutely amazing through the whole thing and you know tried to be very you know they were very cognizant of what we were going through and stuff but it was still really 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 hard to be surrounded by it Duncan found it even harder because he's just surrounded by babies at work anyway he can't escape it and and come home and have that as well yeah it did make it a really hard time but we moved out we got our own place so that was good 
And then, yeah, we got ready for number five because basically our um, specialist, she was like, look, you know, because there was some reasonable ones, you mm-hmm. could try again. Duncan didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was like, you can try again. It's not going to be a good outcome. Um, I don't think you should do it through us. Uh, go to a bulk bill clinic. So at least if it doesn't work, you're not wasting your money. So really appreciated that she said that. Um, Mm -hmm. She was one of the doctors that he works with at the hospital. So she gave it to us very straight. Yeah. Um, And so we went to one of the bulk bill bill clinics. And um, in Australia, that just means that there are some things that you can get for free, but Mm -hmm. it, it just means that you only get charged the Medicare price, not all of the extras so it basically meant the cost of this round ended up being about a third of the cost of the first round in Sydney that's really significant isn't it yes yeah yes so yeah October last year we did um number five like I said Duncan wasn't so keen but I was like I just need to know I feel like I've got one more in me I I just want to know. Mm-hmm. We've never had the chance of getting a, a day three transfer again. Maybe if we got that, then we'd yeah. have a shot. Yeah. So um, again, it was on the Pergaveris this time without the Cineral. And I absolutely hyperstimulated. I didn't get OHSS, fortunately. Um, but I ended up with 23 follicles, 21 eggs. I thought I was going to explode I was so uncomfortable they pushed the stimulation for like 13 days it was the absolute brink 11 of them were immature and six of them fertilized so they wanted to do a day three transfer I'd had a a different trigger or whatever to help with like the final egg quality and um my last blood test my uh estradiol went up to 30,000 which by the high-pitched voice in my husband, <laughs> when he heard it, he was like, 30,000? He was like, oh, my God. He freaked out because uh, yeah. he has had to manage patients with OHSS, so he was freaking out. They would not let me do the whatever the – I was supposed to do, like, a double trigger, and they were like, no, nah, we're not doing that. We've got to try and calm you down. Mm-hmm. We told them, don't give us any updates because they were like, you absolutely cannot have a day three transfer. Um, yep. We just have to wait till day five. We were like, great, don't tell us anything. Don't look at them. Just give us a call on day five yep. and we'll have the news. And they called us on day five uh, to say that all of the embryos stopped developing at day two. And the day that our genetic dream ended actually ended up being the day that my nephew was born oh my god yeah so that was a very bittersweet day yeah it's really really hard that and you probably heard me talk to other people and I'm on the podcast about those highs and those lows when you're going through this like in the highs aren't always or aren't hardly ever from fertility treatment. It's from other things happening in your life, like a niece or nephew or something being born. When you do feel that genuine happiness and high, something else goes wrong. 
that same day or in that same time period that just brings you crashing back down to be like back into that place of why me it's a real reality check isn't it it is yeah just yeah just couldn't couldn't believe it so there were no answers as to why they weren't developing there's nothing they can do to investigate it further um they didn't they were just like it's egg quality issues you really need to consider donor eggs yeah and you know when you've now heard that three times uh and to be perfectly honest you know when they said that they stopped at day two i was just like well that makes it easy to not go through it again that last round i was i just felt so awful so sick i was so uncomfortable i was scared it just what it wasn't a good round and to see that it had failed so dismally (laughs) it was actually good because i was like well at least i don't have to go through that again Yeah. yeah and i don't feel bad not you know making that decision and yeah, like like I said, Duncan wasn't keen to do that last round, but I was like, I need to, I just need to know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he like he's incredibly supportive and has been the entire way through, but he was relieved as well. I think it's fear that you had to get yourself to that point because it's a big decision and you don't want any what-ifs. And what if I just tried one more round? I mean, how many eggs did you get collected over that whole period? Do you know? Yeah. Um. What was it? Um. Close to seventy. Yeah. Close to seventy. Close to seventy with one transfer. With one transfer, one day three transfer, which didn't really have a shot. Yeah. The odds were not in our favor. No, and I think like looking at that, you can move on to making a decision about next steps knowing that you've thrown everything at it yeah I mean it's it's not been easy it's been really hard to work through um it's been a lot of like a lot of counseling a lot of talking to people but yeah basically like since they first told us we started to look into what donor eggs might mean Mm -hmm. um it's a whole whoa it is such a minefield it it has just been absolutely insane to try and get my head around I've looked into um I shouldn't say I but we've looked into what it would look like if it was known versus Mm -hmm. anonymous Australia New Zealand the laws are that it has to be known mm-hmm. like that doesn't mean it needs to be a sister or someone you're really close to but it means that you need to like the child needs to be able to know who their donor egg angel is yeah. when they turn 18 but that's a really hard thing to get your head around especially as you know we've kind of talked that you can't help but go, who do they look like? So that's that's been something that's been really hard to get my head around. The way that you have to advertise in Australia and New Zealand is that you have to put your story out there on 
the Facebook groups and hope that it connects with someone who's willing to donate. It's also very hard because, you know, from what I've heard, and we haven't gone down that route, but it can be really hard because the person who puts their hand up to donate would need to go through a lot of counselling. If they've got a partner, their partner would also have to do counselling with them. They have to go through all of the testing and stuff as well. And there are so many times where they could get knocked back, which I find really hard. Yeah, well, um, it means you're getting knocked back, right? You're getting your hopes exactly. up at each of those steps as well. Yeah, exactly. And um, like we have been really fortunate that we have a couple of people close to us who have uh, offered, mm-hmm. but both of them I know want more than one child and mm-hmm. uh, being in the community now, definitely aware of secondary infertility and I do not yeah. want to put someone close to me through IVF for us and then for them to experience secondary infertility I would just feel like it was my fault it was our mm-hmm. fault it's because they gave us this gift that they're now screwed like yeah. I, I I couldn't do that yeah. to these people and so that part of it's you know it, it's hard because there are some very very special people to us yeah. who have offered and it's it's really hard because it's it would be nice yeah but I don't want to put them at risk I don't want them to become part of the community because it sucks yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't sit right would it no yeah. no yeah. and you know just because you it worked easily the first time we know that that isn't always the case if you know when people want to expand their families so I don't want to yeah that part of it's really hard um so yeah we've also been looking at what it would look like if we went overseas and that's a whole different thing because I'm so intrigued to hear about it there are a few countries which egg donation is more of a thing Mm -hmm. uh there's obviously the states where Mm -hmm. you can pay for eggs from young college students uh those ones it's like you look through the profiles and stuff and it's it's almost like tinder for egg donors because you can see pictures of these girls these ladies of what they looked like when they were kids it's really weird um it's also um the motivation for people doing that is obviously money yes right and that may be important to people yeah and actually that's something to mention is that in australia new zealand um, egg donation also sperm donation any donation or and surrogacy needs to be completely altruistic so it means it has to be a gift it you can't pay people you can reimburse them for reasonable expenses but it Mm -hmm. is not something they can be paid for or massively compensated mm-hmm. so it does mean that it's a lot harder to get people to donate yeah. and with the um known like legislation that they have to be able to be known that can also be a real barrier for some people yeah it um, makes sense why there's a, a yeah. lot of people donating right yeah we we spoke to the clinic here about the states and basically you can like buy some eggs from some women who have 
consented to their details to be released and it'll get shipped over but it just didn't sit right with us um mm-hmm. it yeah it, it just didn't feel right doing that so we've also um we heard through the clinic here that there's also um south africa apparently there's a bit of a thing in south africa um as well which we investigated but what i was looking at i saw quite a few and this might just be you know when i was looking smokers i don't i don't know i'm kind of like um if i'm gonna take your eggs i don't really want to say that you're a smoker yeah um, yeah <laughs> when you can choose and pay no thanks yeah. um yeah that's a hard no for me yeah but fair enough yeah uh that was something that i noticed a bit in the uh profiles of, in south africa so we took that one out of the race um also had a look uh, throughout Europe so there are a number of countries who where egg donation is actually quite common mm-hmm. so some of those are uh, it's like Greece, Cyprus, um, Portugal, Spain, Russia, Ukraine, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, Denmark I think those are all of them I, ca- I can't remember all the others but the things that were important to us uh is the number of potential siblings that could mm-hmm. be out there. That was something that was really important to us. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, I think it's called like IVF or broad or something. I can't remember, but there's like a whole conglomeration of information on although like the IVF system as a whole or their fertility. I don't know what word is, but um, there's some good information out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which you can use to compare the countries. So we use those, like they get updated every year. We use the 2022 and 2023 one to look at what the maximum number of live births are and that type of thing. And um, it actually came out that Spain had a low number. Some countries don't have any maximums. Wow. Yeah. And that's not just for egg donation, it's also for sperm donation, which just like really freaks me out. That is, yeah, yeah, it's that's mind like, blowing. It's, yeah, it's like a completely other situation. It's just opening that up for a Netflix documentary. Yes, yes. Yeah. Spain is actually where we've landed. Uh, we had a first consultation with them back in January, uh, just like a virtual one, just trying to get an understanding of how it all works and. Mm-hmm some of the concerns that we had, which was like my biggest concern was where the hell do they get these women from? Why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. And basically in Spain, they actually have a bit of a culture of egg freezing. Um, okay. It's actually kind of common apparently. Mm-hmm. And basically what the clinics over there do is if somebody is willing to donate, then they get a free egg freezing cycle. And if they need it in the future, they could get free IVF. So they explicitly said, well, at least the clinic that we're, we've been talking to, they explicitly said that um, they don't see egg donation as a way out of poverty. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not the intent. They don't want people to be doing it. Like They don't want to exploit people. They want it to be more of a reciprocal relationship. Yeah. So it kind of feels like, well, hopefully that means that these women are forward thinking if you're thinking yeah. about free eggs. So it's, yeah. Absolutely. I I like the sound of that as 
they're kind of protecting their future. They're doing something positive uh, yeah. out of it and helping other people. And they're, yeah, they're protecting their potential future, depending what that looks like. I think that's a yeah. a positive thing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's, I mean, it's hard. Like, you've got to take everything with a pinch of salt. And are they just saying that because we're talking to them? I don't know. Um, but I'd like to think that it is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing about Spain is it's actually legislated that it has to be anonymous, 100% mm-hmm. has to be anonymous. So even if I had a sister or something who was, you know, I lived in Spain and they were willing to donate, they couldn't donate to me, which is completely different to here. In yeah, Brazil. that's very different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, it is really weird and still trying to get my head around it they still flip-flop between like known versus anonymous because there is a lot of talk you know about what's best for the, the child one thing that's certain is that you tell them from like day dot that this is their story that so that it just becomes part of their like creation story and it's also you know we, we talk so much about when we end up with the baby, they'll know how much they wanted because of how much we've gone through to get them. And that, and that's a part of them knowing as well as, you know, we went through all of this and we went down this avenue to have you. Exactly. Yeah. Whilst I'm at peace with knowing that we're going to need to use an egg donor, I'm still just still trying to decide on how we're going to do that. And so... um. Yeah, tomorrow we're actually flying out to Europe. Duncan has a conference, so we figured we would uh, tack on a, a visit to Madrid and have like a proper appointment with the clinic and have a good chat to them. So that's what we're doing uh, next week, which is very exciting, but I'm also absolutely freaking out. Definitely yeah. a lot of um, up and down and tears and it's okay and then oh my god what are we doing and yeah yeah because it is like it's like I know deep down that genetics don't matter and mm-hmm. once baby's here it, it's not gonna matter but it is still like just getting there it's it's a big step yeah absolutely I think it will be awesome for you guys to go over there and make that step like speaking to you over the last uh, wee while and today I can tell that that's going to make you either decide you don't want to do it or make you feel at ease and lean into the process yeah. and be able to comfortably continue with it which is is what you need to find out either way yeah right what, yeah what it's just so hard like I'm only 37 I'm not that old in the scheme of things and I could never find stories like ours everybody is if they're young it's because they've got premature ovarian failure mm-hmm. which is horrible but it's different it's mm-hmm. like there's nothing there it's not working like you have to move on yeah. or they're older yeah like so many of these women are are like in their mid-40s in these groups as well so it's like well where do we fit yeah. And I think that's also been really hard for, for me at least. Because mm-hmm. like Duncan being medical, he's he can compartmentalize it. He's just like, I just want to 
like let's just do something and I'm the one who's dragging things I'm the one who wanted to do more IVF I I got us an appointment with Lucy from two lines oh, yes. just to, I was just like I just need someone to review this and tell us whether this like whether this is the right decision for us and she was so good going through all the details and explaining everything and going this is why this is the recommendation and I was just like okay good I just needed to hear that yeah because it's amazing just it wasn't wasn't what I wanted to hear obviously but I needed to hear it and I was like okay well now I don't feel bad about this next step I needed to hear it I needed to see it. I needed someone to explain it. And it would have been great if the clinics had, but also I don't think at the time I was ready to hear it. And the other opinion, that person that's isolated from your clinic and your story can have more of an impact than um, the clinic, I think. It's not always yeah. feasible for everyone to be able to go down that track. But yeah, I'm I'm glad you can share that you've talked to Lucy and, and that it helped you because uh, she's a wealth of knowledge and an amazing advocate for people in this community and she should be sitting in a clinic helping people 100%. absolutely yeah absolutely do, do you do like genetic specific counseling or has it been a generalized counseling that you've done um just generalized counseling like we did speak to someone here who supposedly had experience with like donor eggs but I didn't really like her she started going into like our childhood you know we're like not we're out (laughs) not the intent of this yeah like Duncan never had any issues it's everything sperm has come up completely fine no fragmentation no issues there it's always been me Mm -hmm. and that's hard as well like he doesn't see it as like I'm at fault or anything like that but I feel like it Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you probably have those moments too Um, yeah absolutely and I think with your medical history as well it's it's all gonna have a burden on you yeah. yeah and I mean like we've We've been through a lot as a couple. <laughs> We've been tested so many times and we're stronger for it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean it hasn't been hard. I must say it it is a bit easier to to be able to almost justify in my head that it is because of my you say it is because of my history, it is because of all the surgeries. Like that's that. Like it mm-hmm. does make it a bit easier to blame something. Mm-hmm. since I don't have a gut anyway it's a bastard it's caused all these issues why not blame mm-hmm. everything else on it it has like it's been hard it has been really hard but, yeah well I guess it also does sit under the unexplained to a certain degree yes you have PCOS but lots of people with PCOS get pregnant and have babies and all this yeah. kind of thing so yeah I can understand that what I've got from you talking to you today and how I felt is and it's probably because I can imagine myself in your situation because we could very much end up there as well is I've got eggs mm. you know we've got lots of eggs yeah why can't they just make well. it work yeah 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 that that was that was exactly it that's that's what I mean when I say like there was no stories like ours 
everybody has literally been either young, contributing failure, or older. Yeah. And I'm like, where is the where are the people in the middle? Yeah. I just need to know that there's other people who have had to make this decision as well. Yeah. And yeah, like I searched and searched for stories and I like I found a couple, but the women in these stories, they still responded pretty well to the the meds, but not as much as I did. So mm. it's still like, you know, they may be getting seven eggs or whatever yeah. each time. We got twenty one last time, surely. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I can relate to you with that. When it, you get so many and you're so hopeful and then it just cuts down at maturity level and then cuts down at fertilization level and then you've got none left. I I can relate to that. But I think I can also relate to you you're in the sense of not finding other people because people in a situation like us often end up with a baby. They end up getting that one embryo that does work. Mm-hmm. Um, it does happen for a, a big chunk of people that have similar outcomes so it is yeah I can understand it's a really hard place for you because also I obviously have a lot of people that I talk to and that reach out to me and whatnot and I donor eggs aren't brought up a lot considering the volume of people that I talk to mm-hmm. and it was brought up in my recent question box people wanting to hear more about donor eggs but it's that's very infrequent the amount of times that it's brought up so hopefully you sharing your story helps people that are in your situation. And I hope from that, that people will reach out to me that I can put you in contact with. And, you know, you can hopefully through this, find some people that are in the same or similar situation to you. Yeah. Hopefully. Oh, geez. can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It's very like... Everyone reacts differently, but it can be very overwhelming saying it all out like this and being like, wow, this is what we've been through. Yeah. I'm actually surprised I didn't crack it. <laughs> no, you did amazing. You did. Is there, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to say or a um, message that you want to get to everyone? I think I think being open with people really does help you. Like I know lots of people are super private about IVF and fertility issues and stuff but I just feel like when you don't talk about it it makes it much worse it can eat you up and even like the simple the simple ovulation induction it's freaking stressful because it's like the first step that something's not right and yeah just talk to people like I was really really lucky we're really lucky to have such good support system around um it helps that like a lot of our friends are medical mm-hmm. or they're doctors wives so we have like we're used to hearing medical stuff so it's a bit easier for us because that means there's just that little bit extra understanding but not all of our friends are doctors my closest mm-hmm. girlfriends are not medical at all and they just we're so supportive. They have been so, so supportive the entire way through. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the girls, it's the guys as well. Like, they've been really, really great. And my brothers, like, yeah. I didn't really expect to be uh, sharing that stuff with my little brothers. Um, yeah. And lives, but yeah, they've just been so great. And yeah, we're really 
grateful for all the people that we have around us who've who've helped and you know and our parents stuff has been amazing and it's just because we've shared if you're not open then you don't give them the opportunity to step up and support you right exactly and also I think do be open to more formal support it doesn't mean you're a failure if you need to talk to someone mm-hmm. um because as much as like your friends and family can be really good they also aren't trained and there are some things that you can only get from a trained counselor or a trained psychologist or something that sometimes you do need that extra help those extra tools and stuff that you might not have thought about and your Mm -hmm. friends and family might not talk about but you actually need to practice oh yeah I find just getting it out to someone I feel so much better and like they don't even need to tell me much and I'm like oh yeah I'm good now I've just I've just said it all and I feel better that's the talker in me but yeah no that's a good message to get out there and a big thank you uh, for being open and vulnerable and sharing with our community about a topic that yeah really isn't delved into too much and I'm sure we will reconvene after your trip and kind of once you're down the line again and gone through whatever your next steps are yeah I'm sure you'll be back on the podcast to share that because I think a lot of people are going to want to follow along and see how that goes for you and it's going to be a great opportunity to share what the possibilities are and what course you can take so yeah Yeah. thank you very much